I wonder if we could turn the, this evening to the Psalm um, 129. And we're going to uh, another uh, short psalm. These ones, uh, most of the songs and degrees, really all in, ma- in many ways, um, are quite short. Uh, but we read from verse 1 of the 129th Psalm. Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he hath cut, cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Let them all be confounded and turned back that hate Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetops, which withereth afore it groweth up, wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Amen. We know the Lord will again add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Young Wil- uh, William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year-long battle against the slave trade in England. He was tra- tired and frustrated, and he opened his Bible, and he was tra- going to read from the Bible when a little leaf or a little page fell out, a small piece of paper fluttered to the floor. And it was a letter from John Wesley shortly before his death. And Wilberforce read it again, and it said, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion of England and of human nature, unless God has raised you up for this very thing. You will be worn out by opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. And that encouraged young William Wilderforce to keep on in the task of fighting against slavery. And there's something in the human spirit that uh, love stories about perseverance, uh, about those that simply refuse to give up and keep on going. And it's a characteristic that is universally admired. The story is told of Andrew Jackson's uh, boyhood friends, and they were wondering how Andrew Jackson got to the place that he did to be president of the United States. They said he wasn't the cleverest Uh, fellow in our school, nor was he the strongest. He said uh, Jim Brown could throw him three times out of four in a wrestling match. And then somebody said, but uh, surely after three times, that was usually the end of the match. And they said, well, the thing about Andrew Jackson is that he never gave up. He never knew when he was beat. And he, he uh, might be thrown three times, but he would get up 
And because Jim Brown was tired, he would throw them the fourth time. And they uh, came to the conclusion that um, uh, they said that um, you, he, he would never stay throwed, as they said. And he, they, they said uh, the thing about Andrew Jackson is that he might be throwed three times, but uh, the next time he would never stay throwed. And uh, despite the setbacks, he came back again. And we may face many setbacks and many things to discourage us, but we recognize that the battle is not ours, it is the Lord's. Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple Computers, is quoted as saying, I'm convinced that half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. Maya Angelou, the author and poet, said, you may encounter many defeats, but you must never be defeated. And she said, what you need to do is keep on. And we can see something of that spirit here in the portion of Scripture. The psalmist says, many a time have they afflicted me. Uh, But then he says in verse 2, yet they have not prevailed against me. So here's the psalmist encouraged, persevering in the midst of the persecution that he endures. And I want us just to think about that for a few minutes in our meeting tonight. We want to think about the psalmist situation. And we want to think about the message that the psalmist gives here. Really, he gives it in a number of pictures. But I want you to see what the psalmist has to say about that persecution and perseverance uh, for a few minutes. And first of all, I want you to see the continuation of persecution here. Notice what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, Many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. And you notice that God's enemies here, the enemies of the psalmist, um, they are uh, coming against him. And really, you've the thought here, really, of childhood abuse, really. You see that they're coming at him even from a youth. And you notice the frequency of the persecution. He says, many a time have they afflicted me. And the primary reference in the psalm is to the children of Israel. And you think of how Israel was persecuted in an early stage of its development as a nation. You think of way back in the days when they were brought into the land of Egypt and they were 400 years in the land of Egypt. And you remember how that they came out of Egypt three million strong. And we uh, read about in the start of the book of Exodus how that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh came, who was jealous. And really, there you have the genesis and the start of anti-Semitism in the world. And Pharaoh became afraid of the Jews and began to see their prospering and the fact that they were growing in numbers. And so he determined to put them into slavery. And then you remember how that he said that all the firstborn 
male children should be killed. And there you have something of the same kind of elk as Hitler in his final solution in that day and generation. But you think of how Pharaoh hoped that this would solve the problem, that he would wipe out the Jews and wipe out God's people. But God sent his servant Moses and brought them out through the Red Sea. And while Pharaoh many a time afflicted them and caused their affliction to get worse at times, when Moses said, let my people go, you remember how that Pharaoh increased the burden upon them. Uh, But God brought them out. God was able to deliver them. And they were able to say that the enemy has not prevailed against me. But no sooner had they come out of Egypt than you remember that they had war with Amalek. And then they warred against the giants and against Moab, against the kings of Canaan. No nation prospered that came against Israel. And no nation that ever has come against Israel has prospered right to this day. Nations that war against Israel have paid a price for it. Assyria in, uh, in the north, Egypt in the south, became added. And then um, uh, 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 the Assyrians came and carried Israel into captivity. And the land was desolated and the people really marched away into uh, oblivion. And the psalmist says, truly, many a time have they afflicted me. And that persecution has continued. You think of how uh, the Gentiles, you think, well, you think of the Jews and the Holocaust, that all comes into it. The programs or the programs against the Jews, uh, right down and even today, uh, you have left-wing bias against Israel and you have right-wing bias against Israel and uh, everybody's against Israel in this day. But now the Gentiles also have been brought in the church and open doors. uh, They have figures that last year, 360 million Christians live in uh, countries where there is significant persecution Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered last year. 6,000 were detained or imprisoned. 4,000 plus were kidnapped. In addition, 5,000 churches and other religious establishments were destroyed. And we think of how in this day and generation there is that hatred against God and against his law and against those that preach the Bible. And we can say many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. And we can see the frequency of the persecution. It's nothing new. It's nothing that has not arisen in the past. But also, I want you to see the ferocity of the persecution. The word afflicted there is a word that means to oppress, or it can mean to shut up in a street. Or it can mean to besiege. All of those meanings are in the word. And then look at the verse 3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. And the primary or or the first meaning of that, again, is to Israel. And you think about how uh, there was that fierce uh, persecution against the Jews and how they were often put to death. You think of Haman. 
in his day, in the day of Esther the queen, and how he determined to um, blot out all of the Jews in the land, and how he thought that he could get rid of every Jew in the land just because Mordecai would not bow down and worship him the way that he felt that he should. You think again of the Holocaust and World War II, and we recognize that this is not a fight that we're in that is fought by the Marcus of Queensbury rules. We recognize that we'll be maligned, we'll be misrepresented, uh, they will tell lies about the people of God, and that is something that we can expect as well. Many a time have they afflicted me, and we see the ferocity of the persecution. But also, you'll notice the failure of the persecution. The text, the end of the verse 2 says, Yet they have not prevailed against me. The psalmist recalls the long years when Israel had been persecuted and under the cause, yet Israel was preserved. Even though there were so many times when, like Haman, like Hitler, like others, people determined to blot the Jews out from under heaven, they are still in the world today. When other people were scattered, as uh, the Jews were, they uh, went into oblivion. They were absorbed into the other nations where they were, but not the Jews. Frederick uh, the Great of Prussia once asked his physician to give him proof of the existence of God. And the doctor just said two words, the Jews. And you know, we look at the Jews, and really they are a miracle of God's preservation. And you think about that, there are Jewish communities all over the world. Now many of them have gone back to Israel. The fact that Israel itself exists upon the earth is a miracle. After um, a couple of thousand years and more, they have come back to the land. And my, you think how the, uh, the psalm has come true. They have not prevailed. And God has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we can trust in our God afresh today. So we notice here something about the continuation of persecution. He says, many a time have they afflicted me. But then look at the confidence uh, that we can have in uh, the confidence of provision. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Now, he's speaking here about the fact that they have uh, been delivered, but he uses a couple of striking images here. And the first picture is of the wicked running their plow upon the backs of the righteous. Uh, imagine lying face down the field and the sharp blades of the plow cutting into your flesh uh, right up the broad of your back. And really he's saying here that the wicked have no mercy. They make long their furrows upon our backs. Now um, the speaker, are, well it, it speaks here, certainly there's a picture of Israel here. And the reference here, the furrows there, making long furrows, 
Um, it was in those days that they made short furrows because of the animals. They weren't as robust as the kind, uh, as the oxen that would have been used even in their own land before they brought in tractors. So uh, in order to rest the animals, they would have made short furrows. So really, when it speaks of long furrows here, it speaks of somebody that has no care, somebody that has no thought about the welfare of the oxen, and he's making long furrows upon the back. But also you can think about the cruelty of the lash. And the speaker's commentary would take the uh, plowing here to be a picture of scourging. And Dr. Wordsworth, in his um, uh, commentary, would speak of how this is a picture or an anticipation of the scourging of Christ. And here we have a picture of Christ. He said, The lashes inflicted upon the back of the writhing sleeve by a cruel master are compared to the long furrows pierced into the passive earth by the share of the plower. And um, there would be those that would object to the fact that we're saying that this is a reference to Christ. But um, we think of the many times in the prophetic Psalms, um, the primary um, thought is Israel, but you can think of many times in the prophetic Psalms when something um, suddenly turns around and it has a messianic reference. And you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Roman soldiers cut deep furrows in his backs with the back with the whips of scourging. The prophet Isaiah foretold what would happen in Isaiah 50 and verse 6. And it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And there you have the smiting of the Savior. Think again of Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And the word stripes there refers to the stripes or deep furrows cut into the back of the Lord Jesus Christ by the cruel soldiers. So here is the psalmist afflicted, and we're talking about the provision here. We're speaking here about the confidence of provision, and the provision is Calvary. The provision is the cross. The provision is the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, the precious blood that he shed upon the cross of Calvary. And every blessing that we have and every blessing that comes to us and the fact that we are victors comes through the cross. We are victors through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God for the fact that our Savior died on the cross of Calvary to provide for us in the midst of all that we face. We are victors in our Savior's precious name. But not only is there the provision of the sufferings of Christ, but there is the provision of the righteousness of Christ. Look at the second uh, picture in verse 4. He says, The Lord is righteous. He hath cut asunder 
the cords of the wicked. And again, the psalmist finds comfort in this because in the midst of the wickedness that he's facing, he knows that the righteousness of God is such that the, the ungodly and those that are the enemies of God will not go unpunished. And the reason why the cords of the wicked cannot ultimately prevail is because of the righteousness of God. If wickedness was allowed to triumph in the end, then uh, the righteousness of God would come into question. But he is impeccable. He is righteous. And he will do justice. And so we can say today that the wicked are not able to prevail at the end of the day. He will cut the cords asunder. Men may hate Zion and may seek to do mischief against Zion. But we can say, if God be for us, who can be against us? We're like Elisha's servant when the Syrian army came and he thought that all was lost. And Elisha said, open uh, his eyes that he might see. And God opened his eyes and he saw the host of heaven that was standing there to help him. And whatever men may say, thank God the Lord remains just and will keep his covenant with his people. The bear, the Lord bears with the long furrows of the wicked, but surely he will cause the uh, cords to be cut at the end of the day. He hath cut asunder the cords of the wicked. The Psalm 124 verse 7 says, The snare is broken, and we are escaped. So the Lord will deal with the oppression. The Lord will deal with the difficulties and the anxieties that we have. And never has, as we say, a nation come against Israel that the Lord has not punished at the end of the day. You think of the miracle of the 1967 war, the Six-Day War, when all of those nations, Arab nations, came against Israel and they had the element of surprise, but they didn't prevail. They didn't prevail. And the shortest way to ruin is to come against God's people and to come against God's sin. So there, here is the encouragement, the two things, the suffering of Christ and the uh, righteousness of Christ. As the hymn writer said, Jesus, my, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So there you have something of the confidence of provision. But one more thing I want you to see in the psalm, and that is the conquest of the profane. Look now at verses 5 to 8, to the end of the psalm. It says, Let them uh, all be confounded and turned back that he had Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetop which withereth afore it groweth up, wherewith the mower filleth not his hand, nor he that bindeth sheaves his bosom. Neither do they which go by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. 
And I want you to see that that there, those verses really, they're a form of a prayer. And this is one of the imprecatory prayers of the Psalms. There are many times in the Psalms when the psalmist will pray against his enemies, when the uh, psalmist will call down the curse of God upon uh, the Lord's enemies. And sometimes people wonder about that. And they say, well, you know, should we pray like that? Was the psalmist right in praying like that, that uh, God would confound his enemies or that God would destroy these enemies? Is that right? Because we read in the New Testament when the Lord was speaking on the uh, Sermon on the Mount, it says in Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And you say, well, uh, when I read this psalm, it seems to contradict that. But you know uh, as well that there is no contradiction. You see, we, we need to draw a distinction between God's enemies and our enemies. Now, there are people who are our enemies. There are people that maybe uh, bully us or will maybe commit, rob us or even commit crimes against us or they will snub us, or they will misuse us in some way. What's the word of God for us in that situation? Well, it is to love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. It is to um, uh, love them. The Bible says to love your enemies. But what if the person is an enemy of God? What if it is the desire and the function and the uh, uh, desire of the person to destroy the work of God. Their purpose is uh, to stop the preaching of the Word of God. They, they are in complete rebellion against God and the things of God. Well, we can pray for them. We can pray that they might be saved. We can love them in our prayers, but we cannot pray that their purposes be fulfilled. We, we cannot pray that they will be a success. We, we can't pray if their whole purpose is to destroy the work of God and come against the people of God. We, we can't pray for their success in that, in that regard. And that's really what the psalmist is doing here. These are God's, sometimes our enemies and God's enemies can coincide because they come against us in order to get, a, get at God, as it were. But that's what the psalmist is doing. He's praying against God's enemies. And he recognized what the Lord says. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord of hosts. So we can love our enemies, but if they are uh, coming against God and their whole purpose is to destroy the work of God and uh, come against God, well, we can pray against them. And that's what he's doing here in the Psalm 129. The psalmist said there, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not uh, prevailed against me. And in Christ, we can say that too. In Jeremiah in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah 1 and 19, it says, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. Uh, the uh, Lord said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want you to think about 
the unsuccessful schemes of the profane. It says in verse 5, let them all be confounded and turn back that he had uh, Zion. We have uh, seen earlier in the Psalms of Zion here the, 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 that Zion is the place where God meets with his people. It's the place where the temple was. And these were our songs of ascent or songs of degrees. They're being sung as they're going up to um, Jerusalem. But to reject Zion is to reject God's people and to reject God. It's to reject the Lord himself. So this is a prayer that is motivated by God's uh, kingdom rather than personal revenge. And this is what he's doing. And he says that they need to be turned back in shame. And really that's what he's saying. Let all that they do feel. And my how in this world uh, we need to see the enemies of God feel. They need to be put to shame. And we find that they're unsuccessful in their scheme. Well, at times it may seem as if the wicked are prevailing. It may seem as if they're getting their way. But at the end of the day, they are those that do not succeed. You know, they, uh, we think of those in this day, and they are the enemies of God. People uh, in many lands are being persecuted. Christians are being accused falsely of blasphemy against uh, the so-called prophet Muhammad. They are being abducted. They are put into forced marriages and so on and so forth. And you think of the left-wing activists who are against God today. They hate God, and we need to pray that their schemes will come to nothing. They are unsuc- unsuccessful schemes But look at their unproductive show. Look at verses 5 and 6. Let them all be confounded and turned back that he had Zion. Let them be as the grass upon the housetops, which withereth afore it groweth up. In the roofs of eastern houses, they were flat. And sometimes there was a little accumulation of dirt. And the seeds would blow and would land on the roofs and grass and Uh, weeds and things would begin to grow. But they would only grow for a short time because it was like the uh, uh, stony ground in the parable. They would grow for a little time, but there was no depth of earth, and so they would weather away. And the psalmist said, well, let the wicked be like that. It may seem as if they prosper for a time, but let all that they do wither away. It says in Psalm 92, verse 7, when the wicked spring as the grass... And when all of the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. And that's something that we need to remember. Um, They may flourish for a minute, but it is, as the psalmist says, that they shall be destroyed forever. So there is an unproductive show. And then there are unblessed souls. Look at Verse 8, neither do they which go by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Now the words there, that blessing there, uh, the blessing of the Lord be upon you, that was a common thing amongst the Jews. You have an example of it in in Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. 
And they answered, The Lord bless thee. So here's a prayer for blessing. So what the psalmist is saying here is that uh, people will not pray for God's blessing upon the wicked. And really, it's a call for discernment. The the, uh, Bible in Isaiah 5 and 2 says, Woe unto those that call evil good and good evil. And that's what we have in this day uh, and generation. Matthew 7 and 6, Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. That's in the same passage where the Lord tells us to love our neighbors. The Apostle Paul says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The fact that we are to love our enemies and to turn the other's cheek does not mean that we uh, discount their wickedness or disregard their wickedness or uh, do not guard ourselves against the wickedness, or that we seek to thwart the wickedness that they are involved in. We are to love our enemies. That is part of it. We are to pray for those that despitefully use us. But at the same time, we recognize at the end of the day that God will have the victory against his enemies, that the enemies of God will not prosper. And as we face so many enemies in this day and generation, that's an encouragement to us. And you know, we can be cast down at times and we can think of all that is happening in the world and we wonder what will be the end of it. But you know, at the, uh, at the end of it, God is in control. God is sovereign. And how many times we learn that lesson in the Word of God. It's not the first time that we have learned that lesson from a passage of Scripture. But God repeats it, and he repeats it because we find it so hard to learn. And we know it in our heads. But when we come across the difficult situation, uh, we don't seem to apply it, or we, doesn't, we don't, we don't think to, seem to think about it. We just say, woe is me, and we get down in the dumps, and we let the devil get on top of us. Thank God the Lord is in control today. And so we can leave everything in his hand. Many a time have they afflicted us. There are many afflictions. Many a time have they afflicted us from our youth. But thank God we can say, yet they have not prevailed against me. And may we rest in our God and know his grace and favor to us in this day. Let's just unite together then at the throne of grace in prayer. Do remember those that are laid aside. Do remember our sister Maureen again, and Gertley also is in hospital. Um, and she was um, saying she was getting out, but I don't think she's out yet. But um, do pray for her as well and uh, remember her before the throne of grace. And um, pray for the meetings, pray that God will bless, and remember these different gospel campaigns that are taking place. So let's just unite together uh, before the Lord. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for the encouragement of thy word to our hearts again tonight. We can say that many of time have they afflicted us, but they have not prevailed. And our God, we're glad 
that we are on the victory side, and we're glad that we have a mighty Savior who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all can ask or think. Meet us at the point of our need today. Draw near to us, we pray, and uh, we'd ask Thee that Thy grace and mercy might be bestowed upon each one of us. O God, we thank Thee that we have a God who cares for His people. O God, we thank Thee that we're not left to the afflictions. We know that we need to go through the afflictions at times. We know that the afflictions come and teach us lessons at times. But nevertheless, our God, we thank Thee that we're not tempted above that which we are able to bear. So, Lord, bless us tonight. Remember these prayer requests. We bring them to Thee afresh. Remember the going forth of thy word. Remember thy people and meet them at the point of their need. And bless as we seek thy face tonight. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen.